what were you saying earlier, Vincent, about how general Western culture is now being really focused on youth. It's youth-centered. So now combine that with the postmodernist idea of breaking down all these different structures and then combine that with nefarious members of the village who then cozy up to the children online and those are the groomers. So that's why we're seeing stories like um, of, of younger trans people who are you know, and younger gay people and just kids in general, but especially within the trans circles, you're seeing these older people who are now saying like, well, I'm non-binary, you know, just any, just any man or woman can just say, well, I'm non-binary. And then that suddenly gives them like, you know, a special halo around them with like special like fairy dust around them. That's like, Hey, I'm now a safe, cool person who's, you know, woke and is now who believes what you believe and you're so smart and so mature for your age because you can see that and so we see these predators um the the kids you know they have no idea who their real friends are and part of that i think is because they are they're literally naive and they're sheltered and then they're online in a world that's not naive or sheltered at all and it's really easy to disguise as um like I saw, I'm sure you saw that article, right? About the the porn, like uh, parents were finding like hardcore porn and grooming materials on like a 13 year old phone, all yeah. because she got involved in the trans um, identity, and she had these older friends that were showing her these materials, and they had been groomed by even older adults, and it's just kind of this chain reaction. So I guess part, I mean, a large it's a it's a bigger question of like what do we actually do about technology? What do we do about the internet? I think we should save that whole thing for another episode because that is that's I think a really important question. But that's what a lot of parents have to contend with. Like that's why a lot of advice that I've heard is you know, if possible, limit the internet, you know, just limit their access to the internet, get them involved in real life activities and limit the internet use, limit the social media because it's just a, it's a, it's, you have more than a village on there and you can't possibly distinguish every single degenerate that would normally be kind of hiding in the shadows, like on a street corner or clustered in a bar together or, um, you know, whatever in their in their own hot house, you know, doing whatever they're doing. You can't possibly know that online. I'm going to tell you. Um, so, uh, just to remind everyone, I actually don't have children. I'm 48, and um, I'm married quite late in life. And uh, my wife and I chose not to have children. So maybe I have a different perspective. Um, but I'm going to tell you. Uh, in my opinion. <laughs> Whatever you think you can do to stop your 14-year-old, okay, obviously you can you can control your, and should control your 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old um, absolutely from the internet. Um, and I know there's a lot of material out there about this, so that's been quite well established. Um, I can tell you a lot of really scary things about cyberbullying. Um, but unfortunately, when you research cyberbullying, you find out that the apps that exist to, to monitor and control cyberbullying are not downloaded by parents, by teachers, and by, by kids themselves. 
Um, so there's some really good stuff in that area. Having said that, you have to prepare, going back to what you said earlier, you have to prepare them psychologically, orally, to deal with the fact that there are predators and opportunists in the world. At the end of the day, it's whether they're, whether they're 12 years old or whether they're 18 years old. The world is full of predators and, and opportunists. And if you're young and listening to this, um, please don't freak out because for every predator and opportunist, there are 50 totally normal and quite healthy people. So the problem is it only takes one predator opportunist to, to cause a lot of damage. So what I'm saying is in, in my research that I've had to do and my own life experiences, the, the fact that the, the, the actual problem in those bad environments, whether they're online or whether they're the pub, as I said earlier, uh, Laura, was if there was no Rihanna in my life, in the pub that I was going to when I was 15 years old, who knows where I'd be now? I might have ended up on drugs. I might be dead. Okay. So what I'm saying is adults have to stand up and they have to do something and have to say something and they have to get together and form an organization like Genspect. I'm a bit in love with Genspect right now today. So give me a break. Okay. But, um, uh, there's a big community of us in, in regards to um, gender questioning uh, under psychology. There's a huge and growing community of us that are organizing. Um, and uh, I'll my own horn for a second or two here. You know, I saw these problems coming. I didn't realize transitioning was going to be the, a problem, but I did see there were major postmodernist problems coming down the pipeline. So that's why I chose to do a psychology degree, a counseling psychology degree specifically, at the age of 46, um, because someone has to do something. You can't just sit and moan about it and reshare tweets on, in, on the internet about it. Um, and on a, on a, you know, I suppose that's more on the, on the macro scale, on the micro scale. Um, parents, you need to educate yourselves. You need to, you, you can't just deny that this world exists. You can't deny that a, an 11 year old can see the most graphic and violent porn at the touch of a few clicks on their phone and because you haven't installed software that stops that happening. You didn't install the software. The child will go wherever, wherever life takes the child. The, the, the growing vine will grow on anything it finds. So yes, some vines grow on trees that can't handle the vine and the vine actually kills the tree then both of them collapse, by the way, if, if this is not something you've ever heard of before. Maybe it's something that happens in Africa. I'm not sure. But there's, there's a specific type of uh, creeper in South Africa that becomes massive because it occupies massive trees, but it ultimately kills the tree, and then the two of them fall over. And they, they often cause quite a lot of damage. They can like fall on houses and stuff if you haven't uh, managed it. But the point I'm making is that the child is looking for answers. The child is looking for resources, um, ways to survive, essentially. And if you leave the doors all open, it's going to find whatever is available. You know, so take the responsibility and 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 do something about what what your your let's say child, let's say under thirteen, is exposed to. But honestly, when you start getting around twelve, thirteen, you might as well do some education. And I'm not I'm not saying, um, you know about the postmodernist sex education book because those are usually ridiculous 
and have have they condone types of um, behavior that that is not pro-social and it's it's always at the expense of someone else, which is fundamentally my problem with a lot of these things. Um, but the point I wanted to, and I wrote it down because I want to underline it for all of us is there's responsibility that has to happen on on all ends. Uh, Laura, you and I as as people who who have been and are going through um, gender identity crisis or mental health crisis, we instinctively start realizing that we do have to take responsibility. But at the same time, if if the adults in our environment are conceding that responsibility to you know to to the internet or to the TV or to a, a news channel or whatever it is, then 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 it's no surprise that you wake up one day and you don't know who this person is that lives in your house, you know? Um, so I don't mean to sound insensitive. Of course, um, there are other things that can, that can happen. Yeah. We were talking earlier about the nature nurture thing. Um, nature can sometimes introduce problems that no one could have foreseen. So of course there's, there's, there's nuance to what I'm saying, but I don't think, um, and obviously I don't think this because otherwise I wouldn't have, stopped my career and and chosen to study at the age of 36 i don't think there's enough people um yet uh taking responsibility for the direction that western culture is going in and until there's enough of us taking that responsibility the stuff will keep escalating and and it'll 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 morph we might fix one problem but it'll morph into another problem well i guess that kind of reminds me of the the other problem is that the parents feel like they don't have control. Now, I'm talking about like on a larger scale. They feel like they're, they are not being listened to, you know? So parents, there are parents that are speaking up but and organizing, but they're not being listened to. And why is that? You know, who isn't, who are they trying to convince, right? These other people who have positioned themselves in the role of the mentor. Who's benefiting? Yeah, who's yeah, benefiting? Yeah, who's benefiting from it? Um, so there, you know, schools are. So I'm talking K through 12 schools are implementing techniques. Now, where are they getting those ideas from? Higher education, right? So then, who who is put who is putting these ideas into higher education? Um, it's the postmodernist stuff again. As I keep learning more and more about this, it just it all keeps coming back to that. Um, because there's a deconstruction of boundaries. So that's what postmodernism is and queering what to queer something is to break it, break its boundaries down. So they want to break down the boundaries because kids in their mind, you know, it's natural for them to break down boundaries. That's part of development. So they think they're breaking some like radical boundaries by dyeing their, I'm talking, I'm calling myself out as I say this, like, okay, dyeing your hair a different color and like dressing androgynously and smoking, you know, weed or even harder drugs or skipping school or whatever. Right. So that seems like you're, you're breaking down boundaries or that the whole system is fucked anyway. So why, you know, even play into it at all? Why even go to school? Like, well, what's the point of that? Like, I've wanted to not go to college this, into every year of the seven years that I was there. Somehow I have managed to 
almost get through it. But I wanted to give up on that because I'm just like, what is the point of any of this? You know, it's the nihilism. So I guess like the parents aren't really being listened to. So I guess I actually had a lawyer tell me uh, a lawyer that I, I did an amicus brief uh, amic um, or not amicus it's pronounced uh amicus like whatever uh, brief um which means friend of the court so i and some other detransitioners wrote had our stories written up by a lawyer and we gave them to a couple cases um and this lawyer told me that the biggest issue that's going to help us is parental rights you know it's not as much the medical stuff but like well that you know but Parental rights is the big thing that's going to tip this cultural movement because parents are getting silenced in favor of what pop culture, you know, says is most appropriate. And by pop culture, I mean like random people on YouTube and making podcasts and um, people who have their own agendas, you know, and who is benefiting from those people. Some of them are predatory people. You know, what do they have to gain? How did we say it before? Uh, when we were talking before this, we were saying who is benefiting from this obsession with children's sex and gender identity and sexuality. Certainly people who want to view children as having sexual autonomy to the point where they have a peer level relationship with an adult. So people who view children as sexually accessible and are then giving them tools to access porn, uh, fetish material, sex and gender, um, and all these different identities, and then not listen to their parents and not listen to any traditional wisdom whatsoever. The groomers, right? So the people who stand to corral children into, into um, this very adult world that they're not prepared for. Um, so that's one issue is the parents who are speaking up are being silenced. And that's another issue. There's one more thing I wanted to go back to also, which was, um, um, oh yeah, the idea, the idea of we've tried to create this safe space. So now we have this paradox where it's the safest possible place, safe to the point where there's too much security and there's not enough activity going on that would actually allow growth within the homes, within these bedrooms. But then within the bedrooms are the deadliest tools of all, the, the smartphones and the laptops that then give access to all of the horrors, but it still feels like it's from a safe distance because sure, you know, I watched like intense graphic porn from the time that I was 14 but I'm still, you know, getting my laundry done and having the food and being protected and, you know, but it's like how there's not much um, distance between that and then downloading Grinder, Tinder, going on Craigslist when I was 16 and looking to have sex with uh, strangers and do drugs and have sex with strangers, which I did. A lot more times than I'm very that I'm comfortable with having done, and it was extremely destructive to me. And uh, you know, and then people are like, "Oh well, children should you know 
adolescents and teens should explore sexually. And like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, well, I know better than this. Like I am, you know, perfectly sexually mature and I can have sex or I can smoke crack or, you know, the certain things that I did. In reality though, I'm a very like emotionally sick person, young person who doesn't have any sense of boundaries, who doesn't have any sense of any direction in life. And then I'm going off to, uh, I know this sounds so depressing, but then going off to like have sex and do hard drugs with like strangers, very, you know, I was actually fortunate that I kind of didn't experience, you know, like direct trauma from any of that or like assault or anything, but it, it was right around the corner, you know, and um, it was in the periphery of all these things. Um, so it wasn't really this kind of postmodernist idea of like sexual liberation because like how liberating is it yeah it wasn't it was it was more like a desperation or a boredom or a listlessness or just like i literally don't know what i'm doing so again as i said before hold on let me just finish this um it's like i said before seeking out you know i went into the jungle deliberately because i was like i just need to do something but then that something was extremely destructive dangerous behavior because I didn't have another outlet for my, for anything, you know, for energy, love, attachment, friendship, real friendship, real, you know, because the attachments that I had to these people, I mean, how real were they? You know, how real was the relationship? My real first boyfriend, as I said at the time, who was like, a 47 year old and I was like 21 and he was 47 and he was a crack addict and our relationship was based on just smoking crack together and watching TV. Like how real was that attachment? You know, was that a real friend to me? It felt like it because I didn't have anything else at the time. You know, what were you going to say? <laughs> Sorry, that was a very uh, yeah. kind of scare, kind of like, yeah, well, you know, intense. I'm just going to. I'm just going to remind everyone, you know, Laura and I committed to this, um, and this is this is it. This is the conversation, you know. Um, there's there's things that I've said on this podcast and um, to, to my my cohort at um, in my studies that I never thought I'd say to anyone. Um, but this is the thing: is if you recognize that there's a problem with authenticity and meaning and purpose in our society, you can't then come on and focus on the commodification of a podcast or of uh, my writings or of my studies or whatever it is. Um, so what, what what I hope everyone appreciates here is that we're being authentic. You know, being human is a messy, messy business. And if you're young and listening to this, you better hold on because it's going to get very interesting. <laughs> but uh, the point I wanted to make um, and I just as you were talking, I thought about it this way. You said, you said you had, you you were you were trying to get over something, and you're like you couldn't really answer that question. You were like, I, I, you know, I was I was doing drugs and, because I was trying to get over something. You know, I wonder about that because part of me thinks, I wonder if once you remove all the boundaries and and you take away all the the, the restrictions from an adolescent, or from any human actually, but let's talk about adolescents specifically. Maybe nature takes over, and nature says, "Right, well, uh, you know, 
historically, you could be dead by the time you're 30, you know, and, and if you look at the, the last 100,000 years of human history. So I wonder if it's not so much of us trying to work through something and trying to get through something and, and trying to get over something. And or maybe it's just this, this default setting that humans revert to when things are when. So the thought that I had was what happens when there's no cost to something? When there's no cost to your behavior, this, that, that removes the boundaries. Um, this is what the postmodernists want, because they think that they can re-engineer society once we remove the costs. But what, what, it, what I think you and I have experienced is when you remove the cost from, um, from this kind of behavior, all hell breaks loose, actually. So... It's a fine balance, and again, I'm, I'm not saying I have all the answers, but it's a fine balance of having some boundaries, but also giving the adolescent something to do, like literally just something to do. Go learn, go do something. Because if you look at our our, our society, how, how we try and structure things, it's right, you're going to go to school for so many years, then you're going to go to college for so many years, then you're going to go get a job for so many years you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the one little thing I'll add in there, one of the big mistakes that I think we've been doing for the last 50 years or so is those plans end when we hit 60. And I think that's a that's another problem we can talk about in another podcast, but the problem of um, the second half of life where society has no plan for people after 60. And when you have someone like me who intends to live to 100, um, society isn't friendly to the, the, the man who's, or the person who's learned a lot in life and now wants to share that with, with his community to, to us being able to do that. So I think, I think there's that the adolescence of being abandoned to a world that we assume is safe, but at the same time, you've got people in midlife who are corralled into retirement prematurely, actually, you know, I mean, if you said to me, I'm supposed to retire in, Okay, 60 or 65, that's like round the corner. I'm 48 years old. I ain't retiring. I'm not going anywhere until I can't speak anymore. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about that earlier too, how, because um, I just turned 25 and I'm going to graduate from college, you know, after being in college for seven years. And I'm like, now what? You know, it's kind of overwhelming um, because the whole idea, like we're supposed to go through these developmental stages and it's all planned out. I mean, I just think about how planned out my life was when I was a child um, compared to then how completely chaotic it got as a teenager um, and then how chaotic it's been, you know, as a young adult. Um, it's kind of like, well, it's like we're not providing the right guidance where we're just going through the motions of the stages of development, but not really giving them the proper respect that they're due. Um, cause like, okay, you know, we'll have a party for you when you're 16 or whatever, you know, or, you know, now you're going to high school. So we'll have a graduation party, like a middle school graduation party to high school or high school to college. It's like, we're trying to mark these milestones, but what are we really doing different? Because it seems like Either there's too much expectation, like for me, when I went to middle school, um, it was like an extremely abrupt change from elementary, from fifth to sixth grade. 
And I was really no different from fifth to sixth grade because I had already started puberty. But for me, it was that's when I started spiraling out of control because it was too abrupt of a transition because we're going from fifth graders where we're all being, you know, celebrated and childlike and everything seems safe and loving to suddenly now, oh, now we're in middle school and now you have to prepare for what? High school. So they're not really preparing for real life challenges. They're not preparing you for the emotional disturbances and the social disturbances. What they were doing was preparing you to do, be able to conform to high school level coursework. That's what they were preparing for. So the fact that I started going into a deep social and emotional crisis when I entered sixth grade, the schools did nothing about that. Um, and so it's like, what are we really preparing for? It's like, are we are we really guiding people or are we just I also feel like there's there's half there's it's too polar it's too um polarized and what's the t is unnuanced a word there's not enough nuance to the polarization so there's one half I guess you could call it like the radical left or you know liberal side of things that's like we need to coddle everyone so much you know we have to provide like the socialist kind of attitude and then apply that to development and meaning and growth. And then there's the extreme conservative side that's like, no, like, we don't need any of this. You have to do it all for yourself. And anything that happens to you is because of your own choices and your own failings. And you're just not morally pure enough or whatever. And that can happen on both sides. Um, but there's just different blame shifting. But neither side is really properly preparing you is the issue. Neither side is actually giving you a nuanced view that's going to help you navigate the ins and outs, the moments when it is your fault and then the moment when it isn't. Um, and so, you know, if you have too much, too many boundaries, the authoritarian kind of um, view, you know, you're not going to have enough freedom or self-control. But if you have far too much freedom and far too much deconstruction, you're not going to have any boundaries to be able to even determine where meaning begins or ends. So I guess it feels like, in general, who's guarding us? You know, it's it's a war between the political kind of talking heads that are like, you know, we, our values are that we all need to, you know, um, deal with our own selves. We have to deal with our own families. Like, it's not our fault if there's an economic crisis over here or there. We have to do what's best for us individually. And it's this individualistic stance of personal accountability versus like, no, we all need to take care of each other um, from the other political side. So that's where you get this war of now anyone who's saying anything moderate, as we're saying, or like reasonable, you know, says, um, you know, maybe we should allow teenagers the freedom to be able to walk around outside and we don't have to carpool them everywhere and they should have freedom to be able to, you know, go to hang out with their friends at the mall or limit their social media or, you know, give them, limit their access to even sexuality materials or whatever, you know, that's like, oh, you're some kind of conservative. Like, um, I don't know if I'm getting a bit off topic, but like a friend of mine, I told him like, you know, I'm kind of skeptical of the COVID. I, I, I don't believe in the COVID lockdowns and I'm, hit, I'm skeptical to that. And I 
um, I'm not like drinking or like I'm I'm voluntarily celibate because I'm working on some shit and I'm not doing any drugs or any substances anymore for the same reason. And then the person was like, my friend was like, what? So you're becoming like a Catholic now? Like you're like a conservative Catholic now? And I was like, um, no, I'm still an atheist. Oh my God, that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. And now I don't know how much they were joking, but it's like, I guess me doing that questions their own kind of aimless values or aimless behavior that, that they're still doing, you know? Um, but like, I'm not, you know, an authoritarian or for saying like, oh, we need to have some boundaries on like giving children puberty blockers. And I'm also um, not like some uh, radical person for saying like, you know what, maybe we should allow sex outside of marriage for or just something like that. Like, it's just so I, I guess I'm just trying there's to get something... sorry. What were you going to say? Mm. No, there's something interesting about and I'm going to bring back something you said, um, you said previously um, that. You know, there's a couple of things intersecting here. So first of all, children are very smart nowadays. Okay, so we all know that. Like it's an anecdotal thing, but it's been shown in research as well. The IQ level has has increased. So the chances are your children are smarter than you. In in uh, statistically speaking, all right. Um, psychometrically speaking, let's put it that way rather to be more accurate. Um, and then at the same time, humans are living longer. Right, so the, the the old schedule that we were on is starting to look a little bit irrelevant. All right, so we wait until such an age until something happens. Then we wait until another age until something happens. So what's happening is the the rituals or the the rites of passage that do exist might be slightly less relevant than they were 50 years ago. All right, so. Again, I'm not saying I know exactly what the solution is, but I think these are the things that we have to consider. The children are getting smarter. We're living longer. People want, in, in career design, people want life satisfaction. They want life quality rather than, um, you know, 50 years working for one company. Um, so all these things are intersecting in a way that uh, I think a young person gets the signals from the outside world uh, through that phone that's lying in their bedroom, they have access to the entire universe of knowledge, and they get all these signals, and none of those signals say, you have to go and do something, you have to go and, and confront reality, you have to overcome uh, nature, you have to challenge something, the status quo, or politics, or uh, your own uh, uh, skills, you have to develop your own skills. So there's very little that um, I know. I know this isn't a universal truth. Obviously, a lot of young people grow up with with too many challenges thrown at them. You know, in in, in uh, my restaurant, for example, that I had for many years here in South Africa, a lot of the kids were shuttled from one extramural activity to the next, and uh, they would end up in counselling because they were exhausted, because they were uh, drained at the age of twelve. You know. Um, and I know that the schools run those kinds of programs because that's what they think they're doing. They're, they're creating this, um, uh, I'm going to use um, Nietzsche's term, but some people really believe they're creating Nietzsche's Ubermensch. You know, we're going to have this leadership class 
and they'll be super successful and they'll rule over everyone else, you know. Um, I know people don't lie awake at night thinking about it like that, but that's kind of what we're drawn to do. It's, I think it's in human nature, you know. So then on the other hand, um, longer lifespan, you've got smarter kids at a younger age, and then you've got this, this sort of, in many arenas, you've got this lack of structure. So along comes the trans lobby, right, Laura? You were talking about this earlier. Do you want to, do you want to carry on? Well, right. So the trans lobby comes along and they say, like, you know, you have something special about you and what that is, your source of pain, you have all these symptoms, anxiety, depression, body issues, you don't fit in, maybe you have a hard time making friends or you just feel off in some way or there feels like there's something missing or wrong. All of these symptoms that, you know, really could be anything, literally just so many different things, a disorder, quote unquote disorders or even just situational stuff um, and says like you have this special thing about you. And you can't be, you don't have to be ashamed of that. You need to accept that you are just supposed to be the opposite sex or you are non-binary, which I actually feel like the trans thing, the opposite sex thing is insidious in its own way of making you kind of discard your own natural bodily functions and maybe go through medical stuff. But I think the non-binary stuff is extremely insidious in its own way because it's just so confusing because it's saying like physical reality doesn't actually matter. It's saying it's a lie. You're lying to yourself that you're not a male or a female, or at least in many actual transsexual cases, like somewhere in between that you can rationally accept that you have these characteristics, not just saying blanketly like, well, I'm nothing. Like I don't have a gender. That's what I used to say. I didn't say non-binary. I said um, agender because I was like, you know what? I'm agender. I'm against any of this genderedness, right? So I'm against any of the stereotypes, any of the norms, any of the customs. I don't conform to them. I just do my stuff. But I still had some idea that I was a female. So I had some rationale about me, but I, but I still hated myself as myself, which happened to be a female, so I still got sucked into the transition, the medical trans stuff. But when you have a lot of people, they really, you know, people are pretending and lying to them that they see them not as a male or a woman, a male or a female, a man or a woman or a girl or a boy, or that their sexuality is fluid. How do you know what your sexuality is if you haven't actually done anything with anyone? or had any life experience. So of course your sexuality is fluid. It's yet to be determined. Um, but now we have like universities, you know, uh, it's just so frustrating. Like in my classes, they say like, you know, pronouns, like we had to go through like a class respect kind of thing. And they were like pronouns. That's a big one. Like respect people's pronouns. And I guess it just, to me, I'm just like, does anyone really see this girl, this just obvious girl who just like, calls herself non-binary does anyone really believe that they aren't a woman does anyone really believe that or are they just trying to be polite but then it's like what is be what is it like politeness like it's deference right or like i don't know what the definition of politeness is but like you're deferring to what to 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 a lie 
a delusion. To a lie. Again, you see how the lies come up. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. Um, where's the authenticity in that? And you know I'm lying. I know you're lying. We're all lying. So actually nothing matters. So the, the, the lack of structure, the lack of any um, developmental process, uh, you know, the operative word being development, it, you know, you're only developing if you're working towards something, something bigger, something larger. Otherwise, it's nihilism. And, and, and this is my sense, is that um, the, 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 the queering of language around gender is effectively nihilism. And it effectively strips any hope of understanding the, what, the, what the real human drama really is about. Um, if we accept that there's, this, there's this, all this potential in each human being to create and destroy and to feel and to cry and to shout and to laugh. But this stuff seeks to smudge all that together so that it all becomes one non-binary entity, you know. Um, and I just rail against that. As much as I've experienced suffering and, and depression and pain, I would rather have that. Thank you very much. Well, at least you have a something like with the non-binary. The, yeah, you have something. The non-binary <laughs> label is, is just a mask. Uh, well, uh, as you've said before, a veneer for male and female problems. And now people are saying like, you know what? Those are male and female problems. So in a way, like when you say I'm non-binary, you're saying, you know what? I don't want the, f- I don't, you've been having problems, whether it's actually because you're male or female or how much of it is because of that or because of other stuff or whatever, but you're having problems. You are a male or a female that comes with, they come, I hate to break it to you guys, but males and females have problems. They have their own unique set of problems and then they create and solve problems for each other interchangeably. Okay? Exactly. And, oh, it's so well said. And so so by saying non-binary, it's just like, ah, oh, I just don't want these problems, right? I don't want these problems. It's the same reason why someone by why I, you know, would would eat like just when I'm just miserable, I'm just like, ah, oh, time to go to the store at 11 p.m. and get a bunch of ice cream and a bunch of pretzels and a bunch of shit so I can eat away, you know, and just pretend for a few hours or whatever that these problems aren't happening, you know. So the non-binary is, I think that's why I think the non-binary is insidious, because at least when you label something as trans, you can kind of see that the person is specifically having an issue somewhat related to their body, so you know, you have at least some knowledge. I, that's why I think the non-binary is is just so nihilistic. And it and it's sad because it seems so freeing. Like when I first, I just wrote an essay about this, um, about how androgynous fashion tricked me into being trans. Because at first when I started calling myself genderqueer and just saying the word queer to me, it didn't really mean anything tangibly other than like, oh, I'm just kind of weird. I'm eccentric. I'm flamboyant. And now I feel some pride in, you know, my my weird outfits and my sense of humor and my passion and whatever, you know, being different. You know, I had pride in that originally, but then it it became a couple years later, a self-deprecating nihilistic thing that wasn't freeing at all. It was actually constricting because I had constricted myself into being only this like weird, not only weird and different, 
but also we're different and not good enough somehow. Like my sex wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to be loved or accepted or wanted or whatever by myself or others. So then I started restricting myself into only that category. And then when you're only in that little category, well, you're trans, right? So like, what are you going to do? And then the only options sold to you for your, when you're in that mindset are you have to transition or you're going to kill yourself. And I was already suicidal anyway, even before I was trans. So of course I was suicidal. It wasn't just like some kind of like slogan I read online, like a lot of trans people will kill themselves. It's like, no, I'm already debating about it every day on my own. So then I write, then I read that. And then it's like, ah, well, that's the reason why I'm so suicidal, you know? So it's, you're and in there. Then you get given structure. Yes. Then, then you get, you get, as you, the words you use, then you get sold this package. It's like the 12 step program of becoming trans. Right. And it's so bizarre how we're, we're so fixated on queering and on, on postmodernist uh, constructs. Yet the trans package is very specific. This is how we will make you the opposite sex in many cases. You know, mm -hmm. This is how you will live so, a new life. This is how you will be a new person. Yes, this is how yes. people will now see you in a different way. The way that you want or the way you think you want other people to perceive you. So you get like a packaged and sold transcendence. And all you need to do is go to a clinic, say that you're fucking miserable and get a free injection yeah, of, this, exactly. of a substance that you can then utilize to begin that process, which so is exactly I, I what wonder, I did. I, I, exactly. I would, I would wonder if, you know, you said um, we're going to help you be perceived as the opposite sex, but if you're not being perceived, period, then you being perceived as the opposite sex is just, it's just a dramatization of, of your, your circumstances. It's, it's, not, it's not fixing the actual problem. The problem is your, your ecology, your milieu, as, as, I, as I said earlier, is, is not perceiving you. So what you should be doing is you should be um, focusing on the, on, the, on the tangible things, you know, the, the things, there's a, there's a beautiful phrase in the Jewish culture, which I've forgotten exactly now, but it, it's, it's generally... Um, you should develop the things that you can take with you. So things mm -hmm. like education, things like your personality, things like your, your, um, your resilience and all these other things, you know. Um, uh, of course, uh, it's quite obvious why the Jews developed that culture because they had to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, um, but transferable. You know what they can really teach us? Exactly, it's got to be transferable. Transferable skills. skills. So if you're not being perceived um, as you are in the community you're in, one, maybe you're in the wrong community. Maybe yes. you need to move out of the house or move out of the suburb or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's just simply no need for the skills that you have at the moment. So you have to go and develop skills. Maybe you don't you know? have any skills, you know? Maybe you actually maybe haven't you developed have any, skills, any so skills. So you're now saying like, oh, well, like I was, I, I, I was in the wrong environment. I needed to get out of the community and literally the house I was in as well as I didn't have a tribe, so I didn't have a proper tribe. So when you say, like, well, you're not even being perceived at all, it's true. Like, why, I, did I really want people to perceive me as a man, or did I just want to get attention at all, right? I, I actually needed exactly. real authentic appreciation and affection and attention from other people, exactly. and I wasn't getting it as I was. 
And I thought, well, I'm not getting it because I'm like just this ugly, sad girl. You know, that's why I'm not getting it. Now, maybe that was because, well, that an argument could be made. Yeah, because I'm ugly. Well, because I'm sad and miserable and I'm not reaching out to anyone. I don't have the mental cognizance to get a job or, or to actually help myself. So, yeah. But um, being a man wasn't going to see that or being perceived as a man yes. wasn't going to solve that. I still would have had the same difficulties, you know. So I guess maybe that could be the argument for transition, right? Like when is transition actually right or healthy um, for an adult to do? Like are you – do you have a stable job? Do you have um, – are you actually being perceived – you know, are you in the right environment and doing all the other things you need to do, but you just are having trouble with being perceived as in a certain sex role and everything else is going well. But if you were perceived as in a male role, then that would kind of complete the package, which is what I've heard is the thing that is the um, was the guidance for yeah. previously. And, you know, it, it's interesting that. You know, now Genspect has kind of become this alternative to WPATH, and the WPATH is guidance. You know, they were never supposed to be, like, the world authority, uh, the be-all and end-all say on trans everything. You know, they were just guidelines for a very small population that had no research at all done. That's true. And, um, so I guess to tie it back to the, how we opened this, which was about you know, reading the Genspect guidelines, um, it, they are just guidelines, right? And guides, guidelines are even guard, like guardrails, you know, like that term. They yeah. are guardrails. They're not saying like, don't look over the edge. Like if you're walking on like a suspension bridge or whatever and there's guardrails, they're not saying don't look over the edge or don't cross the bridge or don't do anything, but you have these guardrails so you can walk along your path and find your way to the other side and find your way to your own destiny and values and meaning, you know, safely. But they're not the be-all and end-all because if you just stand there and just grip the guardrails as hard as you can, you know, and put in too firm of boundaries, you're not actually going to move anywhere not going to go anywhere yeah so i guess that kind of sums up the point at least that i was making that you need to have enough boundaries in place that you're able to move freely and i guess be flexible and not have too many boundaries that inhibit that flexibility and fluidity you know I'm going to call it for us because we've been talking for a good hour and a half now. And uh, Laura, I'm just going to repeat what you just said. The, the, the point is finding it to the other side. Having some kind of guidelines or guardrails is so important because the human species has such a massive capacity for emotions, for violence, for happiness, for uh, all sorts of things that the taking some kind of uh, heritage from our legacy, whichever that is, whichever cultural legacy it is or social legacy it is, and providing some kind of guideline, like you said, so that we can make it across to the other side. That's actually all this is about, you know. Journeying, Journeying across exactly the, the mind. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and 
you know, the, 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 I can say from a midlife perspective that um, the journey is definitely, definitely worth it. That when you get to a certain point in life where the, the onion layers, the layers of reality of, of what meaning is and what purpose is, they start coming off gradually over the decades. And, and when you're ready, they come off and you see the next layer and life becomes richer and deeper and more meaningful. So I want to just end this podcast. Um, thank everyone for sticking with us for so long. It was quite an intense discussion. But um, Laura, I know you're doing it from um, not the best circumstances, but we're looking forward to different things for you this year. Hey? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I kind of, you know, have been in a rough state the past, you know, couple weeks. Um, but I think it's a it's a change of environment. I think that's going to help. Um, and don't yeah. worry, because we'll definitely keep talking about intense stuff uh, either way you know as i like to say the good funks and the bad funks yeah i think it is worth it uh even though if you doubt it sometimes you just need someone to come in and i guess guide you back in the right direction because it only because usually when you're off you might just be skewed a little bit and it only takes a little bit of a skew to set you completely on the wrong path so sometimes just having a proper guide to help squeak, skew you back on the right path so you can find your own journey and then help other people exactly. with their paths. So thanks, Laura. All right. Thanks, Vincent.